Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks so much for being here. Happy Friday. It's been very difficult for businesses big and small to navigate the last few years with the pandemic, with supply chain issues, and now inflation with the cost of everything going up. But one of the biggest things, if you talk to business owners, large and small, is workforce. That finding a qualified workforce is very difficult. And there's a lot of organizations that are trying to uh, trying to fix that issue. The Greater Phoenix Chamber and joining us right now is Janelle Tassert, who is the Vice President of Corporate Development and Strategic Investments. Janelle, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Um, I, I want to talk, you know, in political terms, when we talk about, let's say, DEI, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion, it becomes a political game. But in your industry or in the industries, it's a necessity to branch out and try to recruit people. Is that right? That's absolutely correct, and uh, the way the chamber views it is not at all as a political, uh, a political thing, but rather a way to attract um, a more uh, qualified employees into your business. Uh, companies who do have DEI practices in place, it's not about politics. It's about creating an inclusive environment where people want to work. And when people have a job that they love going to and they feel like they're making a difference and they're valued, they're going to stay with those companies longer and they're going to give them 100% of their effort. Yeah, and you know, uh, an example of that is uh, my sister-in-law. My brother and my sister-in-law both are cops. And my Mm sister-in-law became a deputy sheriff and she wanted to be a cop. She wasn't sure they would want her as a cop, but she found out that once she became a deputy, that she was very well received and they loved having her in the industry. And she's talked about that often with her daughters that, you know, don't necessarily believe that it's going to be difficult and people don't want you there. Absolutely. Companies are looking for new ideas, new perspectives. Um, They need to relate to their client bases and to their customers. And we have a very diverse community here in Phoenix and all throughout the state of Arizona. So those different perspectives coming together can really help businesses innovate and grow. And, uh, you know, ultimately that improves the bottom line. But, yeah, companies want diverse perspectives and no one should be looking at different industries thinking, I can't do that because I'm a woman or because I don't have, you know, certain qualifications. Companies are looking to bring in uh, bring in new people, train them, and, and keep them. I came from the construction world before I was in broadcasting, and it mm-hmm. was, uh, I, worked in, I worked with, in the field and in the office, with a lot of women that were so good at their jobs and so well-respected, but there seems to be an increase, which I think is fantastic, that even more women are attracted to that industry, whether it's in the bidding process or project management or in the field as you know just on the job sites yeah definitely and uh the chamber foundation actually is uh, a part of the build your future arizona campaign which is a career awareness campaign driving people to the construction trades industry and the powerhouse women uh that are a part of that coalition and a part of that industry are so impressive to your point in the field and in the office um you know they are they are making great strides within the construction industry and other industries that have typically been viewed as male dominant. Can you explain the daunting task ahead of just that industry? A couple of hundred thousand construction jobs in the next couple of years in Arizona that needed to be filled. What does that really look like? Can those jobs actually be filled? Can we get projects completed in a timely fashion with that kind of need? 
We are certainly working toward that. And I think what's really been so great and inspiring about the construction industry is with the Build Your Future movement, uh, that these companies have come together and are working collaboratively, although they may have, you know, technically been competitors in some sense, but they've realize this industry need and have committed to not just trying to steal talent from one another, but really drive people to these jobs. So we've certainly seen a huge uptick in the number of people interested in these careers. They're high paying. Uh, there's a lot of growth opportunities. So we are we are certainly making a dent in that um, and we'll continue to push that and get people into these jobs so we can continue to grow at the at the rate that we are. Janelle Tasseter is joining us. She is the vice president with the Greater Phoenix Chamber. Um, let's talk about qualifications or, or desire in, in a way. When you go into the military, you take an exam called the ASVAB, the Armed Services Vocational Aptitude Battery, to find out what you might be good at. How does someone start searching with all of the jobs that are available? How do they start searching for an industry that they might be attracted to they might not realize right now? Sure. So there are a a number of resources available online that can help individuals start to hone in on that. But I think just understanding your your market uh, in the community that you're in, in Phoenix, tons of healthcare jobs, as you mentioned, construction, cyber, IT, really diving into what the needs are within your individual community and then exploring what career options are out there within those industries is a great place to start. Um, And and then there are, again, the Phoenix Chamber Foundation has several workforce collaboratives working to tackle these issues and drive awareness to these careers and come up with solutions to help people get trained up to the level that they need to be in order to start making headway in these career paths. But I think a lot of it's just awareness of what the needs are and going in without that preconceived notion that. I can't do this because of X or I, I'm kind of pigeonholed into this. The world really is the oyster of the workforce. Do you have some resources, websites that people can go to if they're saying, I would like to change careers, I don't know what direction I want to go, if it's a first-time job or a career or if it's a career change, do you have places for people to go and just start searching that out? Sure. If you uh, go to the phoenixchamberfoundation.com website, there are some key industries in there and a lot of resources on that site that can help uh, job seekers start to navigate. We also have uh, azcareersnow.com, which is uh, focused on hiring events for some of these key industries. Great place for people to plug in and begin to uh, explore these careers, talk to hiring employers, and understand what they're looking for. So that's azcareersnow.com. How well, my last question is, how well connected is the chamber with or in some of these uh, programs with the CTEDs, the Career Technical Education Districts, the EVITs, and the Westmex in the West Valley? Sure. The chamber partners with is as many education partners as we can, candidly. Um, We've been doing a lot of work to connect businesses into not only high schools, uh, but the the CTEDs as well, but to help students understand what these career pathways are and get some real hands-on experience. So we've even been uh, in in high schools, we work with a handful of high school districts to get businesses in the door and start explaining to these kids before they, you know, end up in a college major that they realize is not right for them helping them get some of that hands-on experience and understand the direction that they might want to go so that they can make the best college and career choice for them. It is always great to talk with anybody from the Phoenix Chamber, and I appreciate you coming on with us today, and I hope you'll come back. 
Absolutely. Thank you so much for having us. All right. Thanks, Janelle. That's Janelle Tassert. Uh, and we're going to k- stay on this. This is going to be a need for a long time. I think it's exciting for young people to realize that they've got a career in front of them and it can be a lifelong career. I, I just think it's a great idea to explore your options as early as possible. Coming up in a moment, we're going to go to politics. Why do only half of Democrats want the president to run for reelection? We'll give you some of what they said in news stories coming up in a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, we still have the hottest tickets in town. Of course, it's Suns Playoff Tickets. If you'd like to qualify to win some tickets for Game 5, um, we are going to be calling names Monday and Tuesday during the 7 a.m., 11 a.m., and 4 p.m. hours. Just to get qualified, maybe your name will be called. Just text the word TICKET to 411 You might get a chance to go and see the Suns versus the Clippers. That's TICKET to 411 so an interesting story. Just half of Democrats say Biden should run again as the president nears his announcement. It's been now, I don't know if it's a a, a very horribly kept secret or if it's uh, intentionally out there, but they're saying that on Tuesday by video, the president will announce his reelection. So approximately 52% of Democrats do not want Biden to run for president in the coming election. The combined with the 93% of Republicans who respond similarly. So um, here are a couple of the three reasons why. Among Democrats, Biden gained, garnered 47% support uh, for re-election, re-election and 78% approval rating. My problem with him running in 2024 is that he's just so old, said someone named Jennifer Lagana. One of the poll Democrats from California. So let let us start there for a moment. Is that unique to the president's office? And here's the reason I ask that. Um, and without picking on people, because can, we can talk about both sides of the aisle. Uh, Chuck, I'm not Chuck Schumer. I'm sorry, <clears throat> Mitch McConnell recently had a stint in the hospital from a fall he took. He missed some time in the United States Senate. We know that Senator Dianne Feinstein does not seem to be doing very well. Uh, again, I don't agree with any of her politics, but she was a, pol- a brilliant politician for a long time. Years ago, she was the mayor in San Francisco, and she's become a United States senator, and she served for a long time. And But she, is, she does not appear to be able to do the job anymore. Um, that is an American issue, and it has, this does have to do with her age. Now, I will. I want to be very fair. I'm getting older. I mean, I'm 55 years old, but I don't believe that age necessarily uh, excludes you from being qualified to do a job. But when you're the president of the United States, are there things about the president's performance? If the president seemed to be performing at a high level, would people still be concerned about his age? Or is it some of the things whether and I, I'm not one to make fun. I didn't like uh, the 25th Amendment conversation about President Trump and all the stuff that people were brought in that he shouldn't be anywhere near the nuclear codes and he was unqualified and they should invoke the amendment so that they could get him out of office. I thought that was a horrible thing to do and I've largely stayed away from all of that with President Biden. But we know he has made a lot of mistakes when he's speaking in public. We know that he's fallen up the stairs getting on Air Force One. Is this more about perception or is there a reality there that people are saying you are the most powerful person person in the entire world, and it should be somebody that does a better job. Now, there's going to be, you know, some of it's going to be policy driven. They don't like the results of what's happening. If we were successful right now, 
all all things being equal, if the president still spoke the way he speaks, if the president was still uh, falling up the stairs, getting on Air Force One, whatever they are that lead people to believe that maybe it's too much of a job for him right now at this place in his life. But we were successful economically. We didn't have the the uh, inflation we have, the high gas prices, the other things. Would that be a different story? And the reason why I ask is because people are – their response is, I like the guy. These are Democrats. I like him. He's just so old. Is it just about his age? Because there are a lot of people that are older that are getting, you know, let's face it, it, it you, people are living longer with the exception of the drop we had with COVID. People are. So is this one of those things that truly is about his age? And, you know, the politics of what's happening on the Republican side and Donald Trump going after Ron DeSantis. And now you've got new people jumping into the race and how will it all play out? But in the end, the president of the United States, it's interesting that Democrats support him still. They're not against his policies. They're fearful about his age. And I think it also has to do about his performance. And is that something that is reasonable for people? It's it's very interesting that that quote, he's just so old, it says. Um, Other people, I voted for him. I like him as a person. I like him as a leader for our country. However, I just feel that he's still lacking the up-to-date knowledge of what needs to be done. Younger Democrats were less enthused about wanting the president to run again, with only 25 percent of young Democrats agreeing to definitely support Biden in 24. Um, This is a 20 year old said it's really hard to support somebody who is such a career politician who has a vested interest in maintaining the status quo when the status quo doesn't work for me. Um, I don't like maintaining the status quo, and so I want things to change, and I don't think Biden, how we're, Biden's how we're going to get that in the next four years. A 45-year-old Democrat uh, said um, that she uh, is opposing 2024 because of his age. So that seems to be a big part of it. Interesting quote about being the status quo. He has been in the United States Congress for a very long time. He was vice president for eight years, and now he's the president. Are they more concerned? What experience is usually what gets you a job? There are some people that are saying being a career politician is saying the reason why he shouldn't be there. Just I just thought it was an interesting look. Um We're going to shift back to the economy, but this time we're going to talk about climate change because the climate change agenda is one that everyone is concerned about on the side of the aisle with the president. Is it the defining issue of our time? We'll talk about it next. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. All right, uh, I'm going to use a word I use a lot, and that's policy. I talk about how policies do things. It's the reason why elections have consequences. We elect Republicans to run the House of Representatives. They have the majority there, so you know that things are going to be different in the House. Whether you love that or you hate that, that's just a fact of life. The fact that the Democrats still effectively control the Senate, that also, the balance of the Congress... And what bills might come out of the Congress and actually get to the president's desk, what the president might sign. But it's also about executive orders. It's about agenda. It's about cabinet positions. So the executive branch plays a huge role in the policies that America takes. 
Do those policies, there's a couple of things that when a president runs for re-election, he or she, but in this, it's always been he, but eventually we will have a, a woman as our president. But right now, he goes to the American people with a phrase that they all use, promises made, promises kept. And then they have got to convince the American people that keeping their promises gave the American people the intended results they can be happy with. That's where I think President Biden is going to have a very, very difficult time. There are a couple of things right now. One of them is the debt ceiling. Um, And this is what I find fascinating. McCarthy, this is an NPR story. McCarthy proposes changing access to food stamps as part of debt limit debate. Um, We played for you yesterday um, the president lamenting the wacko ideas of the Republican Party, the MAGA Republicans that are losing America. Uh, that are ruining America. And what he alluded to, what he said those crazy ideas are, is that they want massive cuts to programs. Well, I don't think that people are A, going to disagree with that, and certainly B, not think they're crazy. But there's a headline, and this is from the Wall Street Journal, is uh, is work for welfare wacko. Biden trashes a modest GOP reform that he's voted for in the past, which is you have got to be working, and you've got to be trying to get gainful employment in order to get some welfare programs. Most Americans agree with that idea as well. But here's the other side of this. Sensible energy policies should avert the economic harm the measures climate extremists could inflict. Talking about the Inflation Reduction Act, another headline from the Wall Street Journal calling it bait and switch. Biden's executive order to require agencies to make environmental justice part of their mission. The interior secretary was testifying and uh, she was talking about climate change and she was at a hearing of the House Natural Resources Committee. I want you to hear a little bit of what Deb Howlands had to say. She is the um, the interior secretary. She's almost in tears making this statement. I really do have to say that um, all of this is because climate change is the crisis of our lifetime. We have an obligation to future generations to make sure that we have a planet for them to live on. And that's why I'm here, and that's why I'm working incredibly hard to make sure that we can realize that transition, that we can have differing energy sources. We can't uh, continue to um, be a one-industry country. we're, We're expanding. We're proud of the expansions we're making. We're going to continue to work very hard, and uh, certainly all the career staff who are working um, diligently to move any and all permits forward, they'll continue with your help um, on our budget, and we appreciate very much you listening to me today as well. Climate change is the crisis of our lifetime. We owe it to future generations to ensure that they'll have a planet to live on. We have been hearing this for generations. And, I, you know, listen, to young people, and I mean this very respectfully, when I was very young, I bought it hook, line, and sinker, too. I was terrified with the news that I was given. In the 1970s, as a little boy in northeast Ohio, with the huge storms that were hammering uh, Buffalo, New York, and coming down the Erie Canal and hammering the Cleveland area, I lived up in farm country, north 
southeast of Cleveland in a little county called Geauga County. Um, and I remember these huge snowdrifts and the bad winters and the oncoming freeze and we weren't going to be able to grow food. Then I moved to Florida in the mid-1970s where I was raised and I remember being in high school and being told we're burning a hole in the ozone and we're going to come so spontaneously combust and it's going to be global warming is going to melt everything in Florida where I was living was going to be underwater and all of these other things and it's always 7 to 12 years we've got less than a decade and we're going to ruin the planet and if we don't make changes right now we will no longer be here and it's happened generation after generation after generation the problem is the voting demographic that turns out the most are older people like myself and we have lived through these kinds of – and I, she's a believer. This interior secretary is not employing scare tactics. She is a believer in this. The problem is the working Americans are paying for this new agenda. The gas prices in Arizona are over $5 per gallon. They're up again all over the country. There are new reports in from the president's party and other environmentalists saying we have warned the White House in the past that their agenda with wind energy is ruining the fishing industry and killing schools of fish and whales in the ocean. And they've been warned about this. We also know that there is an even more vocal crowd now coming out and saying, you do understand that the elements that we have to mine and dig out of the ground to build these batteries, to build these electric vehicles, are going to do as much damage to the environment as the oil and gas industry does. So you're going to be trading one environmental disaster for the other. On one hand, everybody wants to – I'm talking about on this, this ideology – they want to get rid of the fossil fuel industry. But then there is a huge contingent that is in lock step with them on that issue that are protesting just as loudly of what it's doing to the planet to mine these other resources. We have effectively given over control of energy independence to OPEC or OPEC plus. And in return, now we know that the elements and the, the things that are needed to build these batteries are coming from nations like China. Does anybody within the sound of my voice believe that? That China does not want to destroy us economically. They want to win. They want to be the default currency. They want to be the superpower economically and militarily in the world. And that's not a bad thing. That's what adversaries do to each other. And we are turning over now the ability to mine those products, which means we're going to rely on them to ship us those products so that we can have the electric cars the president wants. This isn't about not desiring change. This is about reasonable change and who's paying for it. This is where the president is losing so many people. In my opinion, the agenda of climate change, as the interior secretary just said in their minds, starting with the White House. That climate change is the crisis of our lifetime. It's not the war in what's going on with Russia and Ukraine that could turn into World War Three. It's not the threat of nuclear weapons. It's none of those things. It is climate change. And that's how they view the world. And I think it is going to be this president's downfall. The American people are not going to – Arizona is not going to continue to pay over $5 a gallon, whatever the reasons are that it's happening, and not look at this White House policies and hold them at least in some regard responsible. And I think the White House needs to take a good, hard, long look at that. The way it stands right now, they're in big trouble with the American people. They are too laser-focused on one issue, and it's hurting them. And it's hurting the American people. Coming up in a moment, uh, education battles continue. You're going to hear from Karine Jean-Pierre, the White House press secretary, and the latest she has to say on this topic. We'll get to it here in just a moment. 
Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. The education battle continues in this country. What are we going to do about education in America? And a lot of it is also around the cultural shifts. The In Virginia, there is a new history standard has been approved that includes lessons on patriotism and respecting the flag. Arizona, we have a requirement that you have got to be able to pass a citizenship test to graduate from high school. I think this return to basic education, maybe it's because I'm older, is a good thing. There are some basics about the model of government that we have that people should understand. And I don't know that it's been taught in American schools for a while the right way. When I was in school, and it doesn't matter when I was in school, just to give you a – this isn't to say we should do it exactly that way. I'm just giving you the perception I come from. We had to take a course in a social studies curriculum in order to get out of high school where I grew up in southwest Florida. We had to take a course called A versus C, Americanism versus Communism. It was a requirement to graduate from high school, and it was a compare and contrast of Americanism versus Communism, obviously from an American perspective. We need to be able to show that. You know, the United States Constitution and how it is different from every other constitution in the world and how the United States Constitution limits the power of the government. It doesn't give any powers to the people. The powers of the people are assumed in the Constitution. What the Constitution does and the brilliance of our Constitution, in my humble opinion, in a couple of different areas, one of them is the separation of powers that our founding fathers, because they lived it, realized that absolute power corrupts absolutely. So there would be no one person or one group of people in control. The separation of powers between the executive branch and the legislative branch and the judicial branch ensure when they run properly that not one branch or one person has control. That is a great way to do business. The First Amendment, guaranteeing free speech, protecting people uh, for, for their religious expression or lack of religious expression was protected in the First Amendment. Your right to assemble, your right to speak, speak freely, the right of the press to be able to c- criticize the government without fear of legal retribution from their government. All of these are unique things. But the unique thing about our government and our Constitution is it limits what the federal government can do. And it is assumes that any power that isn't specifically given to the federal government in that document is assumed to be the power of the states. The founding fathers of this country assumed that we were at the time 13 states. We were a small group of states that had a federal government, not the other way around. We have grown and allowed this federal government, we the voters have allowed this federal government to be a federal government that has 50 states. They are running us. We are not running them. And I think it's going to reverse Every pendulum swings. But when it comes to education, why isn't this a key part of it? We also know that another part of this is the culture war that's going on about the transgender athletes in school. Title IX was specifically, specifically to make sure, to ensure equal opportunity at sports for women. Now, you have to change the definition of a woman in order to say that Title IX protects transgender athletes. That's just a, that is a biological fact. 
that we have to accept that instead of it being someone that is a woman, we can now say it's somebody that identifies as a woman to allow this to happen. Well, there are parents, and I'm talking about very good people, honest people with a big heart that are not uh, uh, bigots, that are not close-minded, but they've got girls that are playing sports. There was just another story. Uh, I'm going to see if I can find the headline while I'm talking and trying to do two things at once without sounding like like a fool and doing it. Um, a high school volleyball player says she suffered a concussion after being injured by a trans athlete and they call for a ban. Um, this happened in North Carolina, suffered a significant long-term physical and mental injuries last fall when she was spiked in the face by a transgender athlete. We There are there are advantages, physical advantages, when you get older, and we understand that's true. So we're wrestling with this as part of a culture war, but also you're riling up parents. Parents, I, I heard a fa- I was watching a video recently of a father speaking, um, I think at a school board meeting, and saying to them um, – I'm going to protect my daughter. I won't let my son rough up his sister. I'm not going to let some other boy rough up his sister. And I thought, you know, that was an excellent point. And I think what you are seeing here is parents protecting their children. They're not trying to do damage to somebody else's child. What they are saying is women's sports are for women. Girls' sports are for girls. This culture war that's continuing about what is a woman, the fact that we are at a place in our culture where we have allowed the conversation in is ludicrous to me. After all the time we spent with the Me Too movement which was legitimate and equality and the way you treat people and how we were supposed to respect women that you find out that Caitlyn Jenner was named woman of the year the first year she was a woman. Why shouldn't women be insulted by that? We can live and coexist with people that identify as another gender, that actually go through the surgical process to become another gender. We can all find common ground, but to arbitrarily change what we've done forever at the – Uh, I would say at the peril of girls sports as we know it is not they should not take this lightly. They should not sit down and take this. And they're not. And I think this culture war is going to continue. Um, I wanted to play some audio. We're running out of time. I was going to play some audio of the uh, of the White House press secretary talking about the Florida don't say gay bill, which is she is actually called out because what she says is not true. I may get to that later. What we're going to do just after 10 o'clock is there is a number. How many guns have been purchased by Americans during the pandemic? It is a big number. Why is that happening? And is that the cause of a lot of the problems we're seeing with the shootings? Should we have less guns in our society? It's a great conversation. We're going to take it up next.